Oh, howdy, gang. Backcountry and Barbells, Joe Shamanic, Jeremy Day. Um, hopefully, hopefully providing some assistance in your train, hunt, and live um, game bag there. So we're working out. Jeremy, what's going on, buddy? How about house things? In, uh, do, you, can, do you live in Purdy? Do you live in, what, do you mean, what would you say, where, where are you, the Kitsap Peninsula? I mean, when people ask you where you live, what do you say? Uh, it's, it's Rocky Bay. Rocky Bay. Okay. Yeah. It's a great spot. I was out there. I was in your neck of the woods yesterday. Um, I was supposed to, I, the tides were really good. So I was supposed to be able to catch the outgoing tide, um, pretty much from sun up to lunch, um, which is optimal. Um, if you're going to be casting out to like sea run cutthroat and there's some other things going on, but you know, tidal conditions, there was a fast moving tide, um, moving out. But, um, I was a good husband and I let my wife go for a, for a morning run instead. So I, I fished the incoming tide pretty much from noon to about five yesterday in your neck of the woods. I was out at, um, uh, Manchester state park. Um, yeah. Kind of messing around out there. I did get into a couple small sea run cutthroat, which is a fun little fish to catch. But, um, you know, you go out there fishing for those, but this time of year, there's also in that area some resident silvers that I was hoping to bump into. Uh, I did see a, I did see a couple jump about 50 yards out from where I was able to cast. Um, my casting's rusty and not very good right now, but um, it, it was a good time on the water, man. I, I like going out there. It's it's just like hunting. It's a it's a fun little escape. It's a moment to to just be quiet. And I had some coffee with me. Nice. And, uh, I love that. You know what I mean? So it was fun to just also sit. Not many folks were out there because it was kind of like a, it seems like winter in terms of the, 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 the temperature is dropping a bit. So overcast all day. So I kind of had the beach to myself most of the time, which was pretty cool. That's very nice. I know it was like 54 degrees, 57 degrees at my house yesterday. It's like, man, that is, it was kind of risky chilly, but it always gets me excited. Right. Cause it just reminds me of hunting. Oh yeah. It, it, it's, you know, in full swing, fall will be here, which is one of my favorite times of the year. And well, it's great sleeping hey. weather. Yeah, exactly. So it was hard to get motivated yesterday because I feel a little under the weather. But so I washed my truck finally after hunting from what, two, three weeks ago. All right. So I got that thing all dialed. But hey, how big are those cutthroat trout? It depends on. I mean, it depends on the ones you get into. They're not huge fish, but. Um, for example, the ones I was getting into yesterday were just anywhere from eight to twelve inches long. I mean, they're the mine were relatively on the smaller side. I think that's a juvenile one. Those might be anywhere from two to three years old. But uh, you can get some decent ones. I mean, my issue is um, my casting's not just great, so I'm really getting on. Not <laughs> I'm really tricking fish, not fishing right now. I'm, <laughs> as I'm trying to figure it back out again. Um, the the fly game's tough, and um, you know usually when I got into fly fishing, I was um, on rivers where you're kind of nymphing and drifting and kind of having to get out and on the beach there. I mean, you really you really get into some casting, and you know as the tides coming in and things are getting good, um, I'm getting less less room to cast because. Um, you know, the back cast, um, I'm kind of relying on it right now. And, uh, um, I don't have very good command of my hauling, which is a, a technique to just get, uh, get some speed on the line and get the line out there. So, uh, I, th- I think, uh, th- but they're fun fish. I mean, even the ones I got, um, you know, there's something about catching fish on light tackle, you know, I think that that's the fun there. Um, but, um, it, it's, it, it's good going, not, not huge, but fun. 
Very nice. Yeah. And no. how long have you been? How what got you into fly fishing? Uh, so we mean because the East Coaster. That's usually, I guess, I guess in the East Coast they do quite a bit of fly fishing, don't they? Yeah, there's some there's some spots. I mean, up in the Northeast, I guess they'll say that's. I mean, if you follow it, I guess that there's some folks there to say that you know they were doing it first. You know, there's there's some brown trout and stuff in the northeast around new york and in those in those areas where people do it um and it, it i guess it's popular everywhere but um i was in texas and eliza was trying to get me out of the house because she was getting ready to take her physical therapy boards and at that, that time we were single and you know not single but we didn't have kids excuse me <laughs> and, uh, i had caught i had caught wind that she had family in montana and a buddy of mine was talking about driving out there to do some fishing. This is the same buddy that got me into hunting. And I was like, well, Eliza's got family out there. Um, and then I invited myself on his trip. <laughs> and I said, we could drive out there. So while she was doing her PT boards, I flew out to um, Maryland. And we did a road trip from um, Maryland to North Carolina, excuse me, Maryland to Montana and at the tail end of it, we drove back to North Carolina where a buddy was having a wedding. So it was a fun two weeks and, uh, we, wow. fi- we fished, we fished all the way out there and, um, got into some cool trout and, and had a good time. And I met Eliza's family out there and, uh, yeah, we did the Yellowstone thing. And that, that's actually the trip that got me to fall in love with the West. It was the first time I saw real mountains and I was like, whoa. You know, this is something else. I mean, even even when we were in Texas, you know, you climb some hills and you do some stuff. And I grew up in Pennsylvania where there's Poconos. But, you know, as soon as you, you know, even even going out there, you get to look at the Badlands and uh, you get to look at uh, Teton and uh, you get into the Bitterroot Valley and you're like, whoa, you know, this is pretty cool. So uh, that was the trip that kind of sprung it all. In fact, my buddy... After that trip, he he got a teaching job and moved to Montana for two years, and then he came back, went back out, and um, right now he lives in uh he lives in uh kind of I think in Ithaca, New York, but um he's always got the draw to come back west, um but it, it, it that was a cool trip, man, that was fun. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, you know when you're it'd young, be nice to take two weeks off and go fishing and do yeah. a road trip. Yeah, that was before kids, and that was uh. That was while I was in the midst of teaching, and, you know, summer was, you know, I, I could have either, usually in the summers at that time I was working football camps, um, you know, like the the youth football camps, but um, I decided that we would put that to go on a big old road trip. It was fun, yeah, we loaded up my boys Tacoma, and we just got after it. It was good times, man. Nice. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, fly fishing's fun. You know, again, it, it's just... It, there's something, I guess, in the same way that, you know, when you're shooting archery, um, there's something meditative in it, right? And, and yeah. in, in either case, whether it's archery or fly fishing, what I think is cool is, like, no matter how big and strong you are, that's not what's going to move the meter, right? I mean, no, it's in, not. in archery, it's almost like, how do you do nothing um, and just kind of let your structure or, or whatnot, let the, let the compound work, you know, and I'm sure it's different when you're shooting, you know, a stick bow or something traditional, but you know, fly fishing's interesting, man, you know, just letting that rod tip do its thing. And, you know, if, if you can figure out how to let that line and the rod tip, um, you kind of, it's, it's a much more of a finesse game. And I guess in the same way that hunting the allure is the hardness in it, you know, 
fly fishing every now and then you get it right and it's like damn it how did i get that extra 30 <laughs> yards you know what i mean so in that regard it's fun but um yes but i wanted to fill you in i know i know also um i i did that with my wife that compromise with the thought of november on the you know coming around so i was like you know what i'll give her this one because then when i went three days in the when i went three days you know chasing mule deer or elk around um i can always go back to saying you know <laughs> when i want remember to go, yeah when i want to go fishing <laughs> in the morning so again you know it's a it was a sneaky compromise but something i'm willing to do i think again i was more more intrigued by just getting out and finding a, a quiet moment more than anything else that's what I love about hunting, man, those quiet moments. Do you ever, have you ever gone out and fished uh, those beaches out by you? I mean, because out where you are, you're right in the middle of uh, a couple cool spots. I mean, have you ever given it a try? You don't need to fly it. I mean, you could get out on, on spinning gear and throw spinners and, and other things like that out there and get into these fish. They're pretty cool. You know, I haven't, man, with... Um... With the kids at the age they were in sports in the last 10 years and then now with little Titus, it's just like any free moment is spent with them and, and plus with my new career. Yeah. So I don't get to get out and go fishing much. I haven't for the last 10 years. Yeah. I used to go, you know, quite a bit prior to, but a lot of it with business trips and such. So I um, cool. had an excuse to get out, but I kind of, you know, all my free time um, per se is done hunting if I can get out and get hunt, do hunting, I'd much rather do that than fishing. I, I've fished since I was, I could remember, I think, I remember having a pole in my hand when I was three years old growing up in Idaho. Sure. Uh, fishing, you know, down in Twin Falls and then the Boise River. So, and I fished a lot. I mean, when I was a kid, we I, I had a fishing pole tied to my mountain bike or my BMX bike. And every day I was down there picking up grasshoppers and casting out. So... <laughs> Yeah, I can remember digging for worms, and uh, you know we'd all be seeing who could catch the most panfish, right? You know. Yeah, was, yeah, exactly. You know, having a little run, and you know, every now and then you'd bend the rod with you catch a you catch a nasty little sucker, and everyone's like, "Well, how am I getting that off the hook now?" You know, so <laughs> yeah, you figure those things out. You know, there's something fun about it. You know, I forget who said it. It was on a podcast I heard. Probably think it was Steve Ranella. Maybe he's like, you know. Any kid that doesn't get excited to wiggle that pole, um, I'd have to look at him sideways. Something must be wrong with that kid. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's the truth, and man. It is cause, I mean, what kid doesn't light up? When we were even when we were in North Carolina this summer, uh, Liza's parents live in our old house, which is just um, it's on this little lake, and um, the part that they live on is just this little drainage of this lake. But there are a lot of panfish in there, and um, little catfish that we got into, and. The kids had a blast, man. What is that? You know, and there's a... I don't know. There's always that hope that it's the big one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> my son, my oldest, Joey, we were... We we go to Hell's Canyon every year and go camping, and we are down there, and he was... I think he was six or seven, and he... I look over, and his pole is just bent, and he goes, Dad, I think I got another snag, and all of a sudden, this big old trout flies out of the water, and it just takes off. And he's bent over, and his knees start shaking, and he goes, Dad, you're going to have to reel it in. My yeah. knees are shaking too bad. And so I, I helped him reel it in. It ended up being like a 22-and-a-half-inch, six-pound uh, lake trout. Very cool. 
Very cool. But just the excitement that he his knees he says I, I can't reel it in. My knees are shaking too much. <laughs> you know, and it, there's just again there's there's excitement in all that. You know, it's the same oh, excitement absolutely. when we see, you know, when you're playing that game and you know as as and you know something walks in to the spot you've been watching. You know, or oh yeah, you get a hot tip from a logger that there's some deer. You know, there's some elk in a clear cut. You know, it's exciting. It's fun. So heck, even when we saw that damn elk, you know, a thousand, I don't. Nine hundred. Yeah, it was a mile away. away. That's for sure. <laughs> a mile away, at least. But, uh, and a mile up in the air, the yeah. higher than elevation than we were. It was cool. No, it was, just kidding. It's, no, it's exciting. It's exciting to see animals. But uh, so talking, we've we've been chatting. I know in our last show, you know, we did a lot of chatting about late season elk. But um, you know, it seems like we're on the fence about an opportunity that may be coming up around Thanksgiving because there's also you know late season deer also opens up. Um, out here and, and, you know, I've not, you know, mule deer are cool animals and you brought up the idea that maybe, maybe go chasing mule deer around because, you know, you still have your deer tag to fill. And, um, it, it seems like a, first off, they're awesome animals. I mean, if if you're, if you're looking for uh, a cool animal or something that's going to look good on your wall in the trophy sense, I mean, I don't think anything gets better than a, than a mule deer, um, but, but they're cool animals, you know, these, um, these, these bounding critters, um, are, are, are fun ones to chase. So we're bouncing around this idea of maybe, you know, as those elk are still a little bit pressured or maybe weirded out, or maybe that first weekend is, you know, because the spot that I want to hunt is going to get a lot of hunting pressure. But, yeah, uh, it is. That, you, especially that first weekend. Well, I remember it last year. I mean, I was trying. I uh, Dave and Tim met me at a gas station, and they were uh, for whatever reason they were about twenty minutes late. And um, in that twenty minutes, I waited at the gas station. I saw nine pickup trucks of camo dudes at this one spot. So we know that this spot <laughs> gets a lot of pressure. And talking with a couple of them, they were a lot of them hunt were hunting around where we were. And then I guess just because. Proximity-wise, this is just the spot that's open with the most public land um, that you can get late season. So it does get a lot of pressure. So the thought is, too, you know, we have our sights set on potentially um, going after some mule deer, um, going east a little bit. Now, I haven't spent much time, if any, um, in eastern Washington, which is pretty cool. And um, mule deer seem like pretty pretty rad animals to go after, and the whole spot and stalk game is interesting. So it seems like it'll be fun. Or it's yeah, a good no, option. I'm excited, man. I hope I hope it all lines out and it's able to, or that we're able to do it. Um, because yeah, those those critters are big bodied. You know, they're antlers. I mean, they can get huge. And those ones up there that we're going to be hunting are the bench legger type too. So they're kind of inbred with a little bit of blacktail. So, um, so yeah, we- it could be interesting. I've never done it. I mean, this will be the first year that I've ever hunted mule deer in the state of Washington. I've hunted them in Oregon when I lived in Prineville just because it was just right there, but uh, I was never successful with the bow. So and, uh, what is your, uh, so uh, how did you get turned on to this particular hunt in the first place? A friend, he told me about it and he says he goes up there, you know, quite often. He's not going to be up there this year, but he said that um, that he chases them quite a bit and has got into them. It's a three-pointer 
bigger unit, so um, it's it, it's a little more challenging in that regard because you just can't get anything with antlers, right? So, um, but anyway, he he kind of led me onto it and told me where it was. He didn't exactly tell me where his hunting spot was, but that's okay because I've been doing e scouting and just looking at the slopes and. You know, it's right out off of the um, Columbia River drainage, excuse me, <clears throat> the Columbia River drainage. So um, it's pretty steep country. Cool. Well, I like Looking that. at it. Yeah. So we'll be hunting at about dang near oh, 5,600 feet, which is pretty high for the, the, um, the range there. No, I like the idea of it. And, you know, because it seems to me that this hunt is more um characteristic of what folks would think of as a as a western style hunt it seems like we're going to get you know just looking at the spot you've talked about and the general mule deer hunting characteristics of um of of mule deer hunting in general but it seems like this is more of a kind of find a spot get up there look around a bit and then put the stock on yeah, that's basically it's going to be a spot and stock. It's a little more open country with um, north facing slopes. Got the big timber, so we'll be watching them sneak out of the timber, and they'll be feeding on these south facing slopes during the day and early morning. And they're going to be kind of in the rut process, so that will be interesting watching them run around because they get these deer get silly, as everybody knows. In the rut time, they just kind of lose all senses and. They're just in chase mode. So now, do you now go back to your earlier mule deer hunting experience? Now, in terms of locating them, is it matter? It, I'd imagine because they're not sending out a signal like the elk do when they're rutting. That um, what you're, we're going to be looking for is sign that the deer in the area, in term, you know, fresh sign tracks, scat that sort of thing. And um, mule deer. Um, do they, are they scraping up on trees the way, the way elk will? I mean, obviously they won't be as big, but, uh, are ear, what, what kind of sign are mule deer going to leave around that they're in this general vicinity? Yeah, they'll have scrapes. I mean, there's, there's sagebrush in this area. So a lot of times they'll be scraping in the sagebrush and, um, it's not like whitetail hunting where they have a scent line or something where they're out running and scent checking on these lines that they make, right? That they're putting their antlers up in the air on tree branches and putting their scent there and then going down to, you know, 80 yards and doing the same thing. Um, at least from my experience and, and most of the time, honestly, Joe, I don't think I've ever hunted mule deer in the late season. I've always hunted them in the first in September. Cool. So they still kind of have velvet and stuff. So this is going to be kind of a new, venture for me as well on hunting uh, mule deer in the late season i mean we used to hunt over in oregon we wouldn't hunt but we'd just go watch the deer activity over on the uh oh gosh what is it the east side of mount hood over in the rock creek area in oregon and we'd watch them in that late season and they just i mean they're running all over the place in that first week last week of november and first week of december just chasing does yeah, it seems like it, it. Also, seems like you know, if if we put the time in and and scout the right spot, you know, it seems like that these deer are a little bit more abundant in terms of numbers than than elk are. They're not, and especially this time of year. Hopefully, we should we should run into a couple of them, which which will be pretty cool. So, um, now it should be fun. Um, and 
So putting the spot and stock on them, I'd imagine with this one, the, the stocks will be a lot longer though. Oh yeah, we're going to be dropping some serious elevation, and uh, I'm looking at it right now. In some spots, we could drop 1,800 feet and then have to go up 1,800 feet on the other ridge line. So it's going to be it's going to be some taxing, and we're going to have a pack on our back because we're going to um, backpack in. So very cool. Yeah. So with this hunt, you're talking. We're not going to be doing. So you're talking. We're. Uh, We'll be we'll be packing in pretty deep then. Yeah, we'll be deep. Yeah, exactly. And it, it we might not go too deep in there, but we're gonna live just basically follow the deer, chase them, and it gets nighttime. With you know set set up camp, wake up in the morning, go glass, move again. You know it's it's gonna be one of the unless we're in the middle of the deer, and then we could just kind of hunt from our packs, but. Um, there's so many ridges in this area and so many fingers that we might as well just take our pack and instead of having to hike back up to our pack, we could just maybe perch up on a nice little knob or something somewhere and camp out and then head over to a different section. So No, I like it. I like the thought of having um, this style of hunting is, I guess, again, there. this is the whole, this seems to encapsulate what folks think of this Western style hunt, right? You know, um, exactly getting in deep being up high perching on a spot getting the getting the glass out and and um putting the move on an animal um but uh so maybe we can talk a little bit about just stalking tactics because it, it seems like the thing that you know whether it's the the patience required for that type of a stalk and um you know mule deer seem to what what i'm picking up on them is they move around quite a bit but when they're comfortable they kind of are staying put so um the key there with stalking i mean uh is this a the shoes off um get on your belly type stock i mean um what are what are some tips that that you you could pass on to a guy like me in terms of you know putting on a long stock that might be you know, maybe a mile where you really just trying to close distance appropriately. Yeah, no, that's a good question. So, you know, this is where it's nice to have a partner when you're out mule deer hunting, in my opinion, be this time of the year, because when you're putting a stock on, you know, you're going to drop your pack because you want to lighten your load so that you're not stomping on the ground. And then as you get closer to the the deer, depending on the topography, then yeah, you're going to end up shedding your shoes. You're going to be uh, crawling on your belly, you're going to be using ridge systems, um, tree lines as, into your advantage. So you might be on the ridge watching, drop down, then pop up. And then that's where it's nice to have a buddy up there just watching you do your spot and stock. There's, so that you're watching watching you do your stock so that he, if you blow them out, he can tell you. Because sometimes you don't know, and then you could be hunting you know, nothing because they're, <laughs> they're long gone. That's right. So, yeah, it's just kind of a mesh of stuff. I mean, just like watching you put that stock this year, I mean, that's what it's going to be like when you see an animal for, it could take three, four hours. I mean, it's pretty, and you're going to go a couple hundred yards. Yeah. So. Um, well, I think that'll be the hardest part for me, you know, just because I'm still in that place where I'm just working on developing patience. And I think I have, I mean, kind of the same way, I think, in you know, to go back to the opening thing with fishing, you know, you know, I like, I like to spot 
cast. You know, if I see the animal, if I see the fish, if I know they're there, um, I'm good about being patient. But what my issues are, you know, when you're when you're in that urgent moment where you're looking for them, it's just how do you how do you stay quiet all the time, right? So, or or how do you sit still for an hour and, and wait and see? I mean, I mean, for me, that's been the biggest struggle. Yeah, it is hard. I mean, that's my biggest struggle as well. So I like to, I like to go, 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 and go some more. Yeah. So, and, um, but you know, when you're glassing, you just sit there and you're just hanging out, drinking your coffee, whatever, and just, um, I enjoy it. We did it a couple of years ago on uh, my brother-in-law's hunt over in Oregon and we backpacked in and it was a lot of glassing and it was amazing because they're picking up deer left and right and i'm like i don't see anything and then finally towards the end of the trip i finally trained my eye to pick up the animals with binoculars because that was my hardest feat because i just wanted to scan real quick and then go but we just sat there for hours just bsing and watching and it was actually pretty stinking relaxing so what was the what was um what was the what what was the turn or the train in the eye that got you finally picking up the animal? Was it just uh, experience and seeing a few and then knowing exactly what to look for in terms of size and structure? Or, or was it just you think you settled in and, and developed a, a bit of a glassing technique? No, that's a great question. I think the biggest thing was was actually being patient with my eyes. Instead of you know getting out there glassing and scanning as fast as I could, I would look in a particular area for a while, then I'd move over to the next frame, and then over to the next frame and look for a while, and then the next frame. So I wasn't going frame, 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 you know, doing my binoculars in a circular motion super quick. I slowed the way um, I looked through the binoculars way down and just took my time and really scanned whatever with my field of view before I moved on to the next. Mm. So, and that was the hardest part because then, then you got to train your eyes to be looking through binoculars for so long too. So, um, before I'd kind of look for a little bit, take them off, look for the little bit, take them off. And I'm trying to convince myself that I can see deer better with my naked eye than I can the binos. And that was not the case. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> although you did, although that, that bull elk we were just talking about, you saw that with your naked eye first. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but they're a little bigger. You know. Yeah, they're a little bigger, and, 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 and their coloration, you know, big big bulls are tend to be pretty tan or, or white, so he it, it was just kind of like, well, that almost looks like an elk, but but with deer, they kind of blend in really well, especially over here in these sage, um, these south-facing slopes with sagebrush and stuff. Got it. Well, very so, cool. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, as, as I'm looking up, it seems like the sa- those sagey areas um, in terms of, you know, consider this mule deer consideration are the are the big, you know, it's, it's where they are, right? So, um, yeah, it seems like that's what they're looking for. Is there any difference in there if you have a mule deer bedding area? I mean, how often is their size come into play in, in it? I guess what I'm getting at is water and, and doing that sort of thing because, you know, they are a little smaller. Um, their demands for food and water aren't as high as elk. And, and these guys seem to have a reputation for being on the move a little bit more. Um, when they are on the move a bit, do, do is water something that you can sit on a bit with these guys as well? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Because they're going to be following the does, right? So the does are going to be typically down in the lower, you know, lower to mid um, sections between the, the creek bottom and the ridge top. They're, they're usually not up, up at the high points. The bucks usually will stay at the high points and then drop down to the does. But then once the does go into their cycle, then they kind of hang out with all the does and are bumping them until they go into their process or what I don't, I don't think it's estrus and with deer, I can't remember what it is, but, um, but yeah, they'll be down by the water. The water is a great place to hunt the deer. Excuse me. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm, again, I'm looking th- through a couple things and yeah, I'm excited. It seems like we're picking the right time of year to get after this will be hopefully. And I know that wanting to do this, you know, when they're rutting up is important. Um, and, and I know you're convinced that it kind of be the late side of it, but you know, if the, f- with elk kicking off late, is that ever an indicator that maybe the mule deer rut would kick off late or are they just on completely different wavelengths? No, I think it's all just the natural cycles are all off. I mean, like I was stating in a couple, um, podcasts ago my garden was late this year everything's been late my grapes i'm just now picking my grapes and i usually pick my grapes in you know the middle of september so i just started picking them the other day yeah and start my first batch of raisins very cool so um and so i think with the deer too i think it's all going to be um ran behind a little bit i think that end of October, middle of that end of October will be a good time for the pre-rut for the you know uh, blacktail hunters and all them. So, and then we'll be right there. We should be right in the heart of it, man. I usually, I've noticed at least in Oregon when I hunted deer a lot that around the eleventh, fourteenth mark of November is when they're in the full swing of the rut. Okay, well, cool. Now you also brought up blacktail. Um, uh, you know, it's my experience that elk and deer don't like to tinker around too much. And I, th- I think that you know, probably has a lot to do with the elk. Just, I'm sure the you know, elk are bigger bodied. They're, they're going to tear up the ground a little bit more and they're going to dominate the food sources. Um, so I imagine deer kind of, you know, you just don't see them around there. But uh, do species mix i mean is there a thought to also bounce into some blacktail as well i mean um you know just kind of curious here um you know do deer and do do the deer kind of mix and mingle with each other and in a i guess opposed to elk and deer kind of being in the same spot um you know i i really don't know i mean these bench leggers are uh, inbred so they're half Sometimes they're half mule deer and half blacktail. Sometimes mostly mule deer. Sometimes mostly blacktail. So, you know, the dividing point for them is the Pacific Crest Trail. So, you know, west side of the Pacific Crest Trail is a good rule of thumb that it's mainly blacktail. And on the east side of Pacific Crest Trail is mainly mule deer. Uh, Looking at the map here, it's probably going to be more mule deer than anything where we're hunting because we're kind of ways away from that Pacific Crest Trail. And so they're coming down from the big, from that Pacific Crest Trail and they're moving down here because they went up there to get fattened up. The the food, the vegetation was uh, better for them up there. So they're going to be moving down to these lower plains for the, uh, 
for the does, really. Yeah, and, and it seems like you keep bringing up this bench leg term and uh, uh, looking it up. It seems like um, it seems like that's mostly what they are. So obviously there is a bit of a a mix somewhere between these white tails and black tails, uh, because or excuse me, yeah. The mule deer and the black tail. Mule deer and the black tail, excuse me, which would be pretty cool. You know, and I, I, it's it's interesting, you know, because around here you see a lot of black tail just kind of running around, and they seem to be super skittish, right? Um, and they don't, you know, they're, they're a tough animal to kind of sneak up on, right? Um, oh, yeah. But, but I do know that, you know, mule deer, it seems like, they're a little bit more curious and, and you can play the still hunt game a little bit, a little bit more with them. So I don't know. It's, it's an intriguing species. It'll be fun to get after. And, um, you know, and it seems like it'll be a, a pretty fun adventure to prep for. Um, and you got me thinking that maybe if we're going to be up and down, um, elevation wise, I'm probably going to have to get back on that treadmill a little bit. Yeah. The treadmill and do the box steps. Right. Yeah. And I know I just now thinking about that too, as I'm looking at this, I'm like, Man, that's a full day of lunges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so might have to might have to ramp up the in season training here. I know we had talked last time about the fact that you know in season you want to keep things safe, but um, I'll be honest with you, man. Getting prepped up for that tr- that for elk season with that that trail run I did, you know, I felt I felt excellent. So I might have to uh, might have to start running a little bit more um, because. Uh, you know, it seems like we're going to be covering a little bit more ground, so I might have to uh, pick things up. So that that brings up an interesting thing about, you know, when you're kind of in the, it, it, it would behoove you to just have a general fitness about you, right? Um, Absolutely. So so that'll be that'll be the goal to just get ready for that. But um, no, it should be it should be cool, man. Um, and I'll ask you one more question about uh, coming up on this hunt. Uh, do you, your buddy gave you this tip? with this spot um is there is there any weird like ownership that your buddy has on the spot is he cool with you is he cool with you kind of going on in there yeah yeah i asked him if it, if it would be all right i said i'm not gonna pick your brain on where you where you go i mean he was just telling me the hunting stories and how he was getting into them and stuff and so i've been kind of dabbling with this for about four years wanting to do it yeah and so um i just talked to him oh shoot i guess it's probably a month ago and he's like, yeah, man, you can, I mean, feel free. It, it's big country, right? So, and everybody has different hunting methods. He, his camp over there, I, I can't remember how many guys he said, but there was 10 or 12 guys that come in and out of this camp for the whole week and a half. Oh, very cool. And there's a few guys that stay up there the whole time. Wow. Well, cool. Yeah. No, cause, and yes, because, you know, people can be pretty particular about, it seems like hunting spots are almost like women. You know where, <laughs> yeah. People, that, no, that one's mine. You know what I mean. So, um, people, exactly. are, people are pretty, pretty protective of them. But so it's always a little interesting when you're picking a guy's brain about it and how specific they'll get, and and then what you can get away with and kind of going on out there, and you know, because it is still public land hunting, right? So we're oh, absolutely. You, you, you don't have ownership over it, you know, to some degree you feel like you do because that's just where you've been doing it, you know? So it's just a funny thing to get into. Um, so there'll be no hard feelings if we go in there and harvest a giant. Uh, well, that's always to be determined, right? <laughs> that's right. 
<laughs> I remember one time I was hunting with a, an uncle of mine, and uh, that was kind of family uncle, but he told me to go up in this area and hunt these elk, and I went up there and hunted the elk, and I got into him thick and missed a shot on one, and I came back and told him, and he was pissed off. What? I was like, I was like, man, you told me to go up there. <laughs> I was trying to get you to, you know, uh, push him to me, Jeremy. You know. Yeah, it's probably what he was trying to do, and then he was pissed that it didn't work. <clears throat> but you know, any any time in the woods. So you know, you guys kind of caught us in the midst of you know preparing for uh, a mule deer opportunity and a new hunt. Um, so you know, uh, anyone listening. Um, reach out. What are your thoughts on mule deer? I mean, if you were given the choice between, I'm in a spot where I have an elk tag to fill and a deer tag to fill. Um, but I'm intrigued by this one cause I haven't done mule deer before and, uh, they are, they are wild and cool animals. And, um, it seems like, it seems like the spot and stalk game, um, especially when we're going could be really fun. Uh, there should be an abundance of animals and, uh, you know, it's not as much meat in the freezer. Um, but, uh, it's still, I mean, they're, they're, they're good sized animals. Oh yeah. They're definitely good sized animals. And you know, the main difference between the two, you kind of talked about mule deer and blacktail. This, this is more wide open country. The yep. timber's even more wide open. Those blacktail, they, you know, they have fr- these giant ferns they can hide behind. I mean, they have so much foliage on the ground that I've had it to where I've walked literally up to about five yards of one, not even know he was there, turn, and then he'd just bust out. They'll hold tight until you get right up on them, and that's blacktail. These mule deer, you know, they see you coming miles away, I mean. So that's where the big difference between the ghosts of the woods over on the west side of the um, Pacific Crest Trail versus the these big giant muleys on the east. Okay. And then so, weather-wise, preparing for. Oh man, yeah. we could get snow. We could get. It's gonna be cold. I, I do to, know that. Might have to get some puffy gear for this one. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be chilly, man. It could get into. I mean, it may not get above freezing. Nice. So okay, we might be having some campfires or whatever. But um, <clears throat> that's the one thing I've heard is it does get cold. Okay. Good. Good, good. I but mean, it could be warm too. I mean, it all depends. <laughs> well, you, <you'd laughs> you know, once you get in a higher desert area, it's uh, you just never know. I mean, it could be eighty degrees one minute, and then it could be, you know, thirty-two the next. Yeah, it's temperature so, swing. So uh, yeah, we might have to, um, um, you know, a lot of the gear that I've been focused on has, you know, because again, we talk a lot about it at the top of the show. It's pretty mild climates here, even up in the winter. But the further you go east. Um, you know, you have to deal with passes and I know we, that time of year, we go out to the, um, snow parks around there and do some, do some things. So, um, we know it'll be cold. It'll be interesting, but, uh, we'll keep that going. We'll keep, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll keep you guys posted on, um, what the decision is, um, regarding, uh, what we're going to be doing here in November. But, um, you know, as guys who didn't fill their elk tags in Western Washington or looking for stuff to do, it should be interesting. Um, do you know how these critters respond to pressure? I mean, are they just like anything else? I mean, um, I mean, could as we put in the spot and stalk on these things, is there a potential to, to blow them out of the area? Oh yeah, they'll they'll run forever, dude. <laughs> these things, <laughs> they'll they'll run, they'll run, and they'll keep running. They'll go miles. So. 
Yeah, and that's why you want to just put when you find one, you put the stock on them. I mean, you have to be very methodical, get in there very slow, and take your time, <clears throat> not break every branch. Because unlike elk, I mean, elk we can get away with breaking branches and making a lot of noise. With these deer, you don't have that opportunity. Yeah, it's a lot, so, a lot more of a quiet game. Um, so, so maybe, uh, so maybe the the. I'll pair my treadmill work with just doing some uh, some yoga classes, holding position, keeping quiet, um, trying to develop. That's the deal. Some, That's a great idea. Some limbery stuff. So we'll see. Let me. I'm gonna have to. We're gonna have to make a choice here, and I'm gonna have to put some things together to see what what I can throw into the the repertoire beforehand to prepare for it. But I also imagine in terms of shooting, um, to just get more. You know, the the big takeaway for me with uh, elk camp was to maybe shoot more from an elevated and uh, below things and then not just shoot on the level but um and imagine here um just dialing in the bow to just getting getting used to more longer range shots yeah, you're gonna be longer range and you're gonna have elevation so plus a tighter window because there's a smaller animal yeah tight exactly yeah the vital size isn't as big so we'll have we have a lot to work on, a lot to think on as we kind of make this trip. But uh, if you guys are listening to the show, if you're in in the midst of this, what are some characteristics or what are some reasons that you um, would choose one hunt over another? Um, but uh, that that's where we're in the we're in the midst of that conversation right now and uh, having it open uh, with you guys with the hope of um, maybe maybe you have a reason um, that. Uh, that you find one style of hunting better over the others. For me, I'm, I'm intrigued by going somewhere new. Um, it'd be interesting. It sounds like I, do I want to get wet or do I want to be cold? So, <laughs> so that's the decision. So we'll work that out. <laughs> I, I almost would rather be cold, you know, cause then I can start a fire, right? You know, me and the, you know, the wife and the kids will have a bit of a TV moment last night and everyone turned me on to this. Have you heard of the show on the history channel called alone? No, uh, uh-uh. Well, it's a series where they just drop 10 guys off in remote places of, of, away from each other, and they make them film themselves. And I guess the gist of the show is the last guy standing wins. They just have to make it out there in the wilderness. And, um, you know. Uh, wow. Yeah. And uh, where they, this opening season, they were on uh, northern Vancouver Island, and everything was just wet, and these guys were all struggling to get fire going. Um, but, uh, you know, at least when it's cold, you know, cold and dry, you can get some. You can get you can get some crackling, some fire popping, and um, you can enjoy yourself. And you know, I know I like to have my little stove with me. So if I can warm up a cup of coffee, I'll be all right. So yeah, and it's just layering up, right? That's all you compared to on the west side where it rains a lot. It's like you wear a long sleeve shirt and then you sweat your butt off, and then it's raining like crazy. And <clears throat> yeah, it can be taxing. Cool. Well, it'll it'll be interesting. It'll be an interesting hunt. It'll be a learning experience for both of us, and um, we appreciate you guys hanging with us as we kind of talk through the characteristics of it and see exactly what we're going to do. So stay tuned, um, stay posted, um, and uh, you know, in the meantime, why don't you guys let us know what you think of this show here? Um, you know, Jeremy and I are working pretty hard to uh, you know put out the best we can for you guys. So if we could do better, uh, let us know. And if there's anything that uh, we could talk about, um, it would be it would be really cool for you guys to do that. So um, with that in mind, Jeremy, I got uh, I got three critters that need to head on off to school, and I know you're in the same boat. 
Um, yes, sir. So, uh, so you have a good one, my friend. Um, you guys out there, uh, keep training, hunting, and living the best life possible. And uh, Jeremy, you want to you want to send the send the country off with a blessing. <laughs> Amen, brother. God bless America. God bless America, guys. You have a good one now. Very cool. <laughs>